Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Six weeks ago, Pastor Ian kicked off our sermon series called Testify, Stories of Faith. He began by laying the foundation of our understanding of the spiritual practice of testimony, a practice that we could probably agree upon that Presbyterians aren't schooled to do. Testimony has been a spiritual practice, however, a practice of the church for as long as the church has existed. Testimony was the way the early followers of Jesus spread the word individual to individual of their life-changing encounters with Jesus. So after all, when one has experienced experienced something wonderful, one is eager to share it. The Hebrew scriptures are also testimonies of the people of God throughout ancient history and their encounters with the biblical God. At its heart, testimony is simply paying attention to one's life or to the life of the community, seeing moments of grace in it and telling that story. Testimony is the practice of authentic truth-telling about God's activity. For the past five Sundays, Adam, Amanda, Sandy, Ian, and I told our own stories of faith, our God sightings, as Adam called them. We are glad to say the testimony series was really well received by you all, the parishioners. Many of you said that because because of our testimonies, you feel more connected to us, especially during this time of disconnection. That because we shared our own particular trials and challenges in our lives with vulnerability, you've felt less alone in yours. The staff can't fully express how much we have appreciated your feedback. And we're especially joyful that some of you have reported to us that you are inspired to put your faith journey into words to look more closely at God's presence in your life. Our original plan was to end this series last Sunday with Sandy's testimony, but the staff agreed that we needed one more session, a bookend to Ian's um, introduction. Because we want to be sure you know that we did not tell our stories just so you could know us better. We told our testimonies so that you could learn to tell yours too. The theologian Anna Carter Florence said, testimony gets us in the habit of standing in our own lives as opposed to the lives we wish we had describing what we see as opposed to what we wish we saw, and confessing what we believe as opposed to what we should believe. Because testimony is rooted in each of our own unique life experiences, we each have unique faith stories to share.
So as you think about your story, you might consider the metaphors that the staff used to illustrate the signs of God's presence along the way for us, breadcrumbs, stones, peanut M&Ms, the more light, or you can come up with your own, something that really fits for your own journey. We encourage you, listen to your life. Let it speak. Dare to see where God has shown up and tell the truth about your experience. To testify is inherently a vulnerable practice because you share yourself. And it's a practice that joins an open heart with a dose of courage. And it might be that for you, for now, just writing down your faith journey in a journal and keeping it to yourself is enough. Maybe one day you'll want to share it with someone else or not. One person told me that hearing our stories inspired him and his spouse to share their faith stories with one another, something they'd never done in all the years they'd been married. How cool is that? So let me say again, because it's worth repeating, testimony is not meant to be a theological exposition or a doctrinal defense. Testimony is not meant to be a Bible content exam. Testimony is not about shining light on our deepest, darkest, darkest secrets. Testimony is not about proselytizing. Testimony is to give witness, like a witness in a jury, to see and to say what is true about yourself and to see and to say what God has done in your life. Now, this story this morning from John's Gospel recounts the messy healing of a man born blind, a man who lived on the margins of his community. Like too many persons with a disability, the man seemed invisible to his neighbors. But Jesus saw him. Jesus always saw the people by the side of the road, or the hungry, or the outsider, those in need of healing. And these, the details of this miracle story are remarkably strange, and that's why it's one of my favorite healing stories. Jesus kneels down, combines, combines spit and dirt to make mud, and slaps it on the guy's eyes, and then he tells him to go wash in a popular pool of water. And it does the trick. He gains his sight. And now this gets people's attention. They now notice this freshly sighted man. So the entire story in John is actually 41 verses. But Jesus only shows up in really the first six. And the focus on the story turns from the healing, the miracle, toward the conflict and the argument that ensues, that, that is created amongst the religious leaders. It becomes like a courtroom scene, a trial. All sorts of questions ensue. Who is this man? Just who does he think he is? 
Who does the blind man think Jesus is? What do the parents have to say about it all? How does he dare heal on the Sabbath? And they haul the man born blind and his parents before them. And even after hearing the newly sighted man's first-person account of the miraculous healing, twice they do, the religious leaders still refuse to see and hear the truth. This healer is out of their control. They cannot manage him. So as the readers of the text, we have this special vantage point that we can see what's going on. The enforcers of the rules and regulations are the ones actually blind, triply blind. They are blind to the need of the man. They are blind to the one sent from God. And they are blind to their own blindness. Like trial lawyers, the leaders barrage the man with questions. But the man doesn't take the bait to disparage Jesus He might not fully understand how his healing happened, but that didn't stop him from sharing the truth about the miracle. The healing was pure gift. God's action is not always, in fact, probably rarely reasonable to us or to others. The man is a witness to the miracle. His testimony is simply and perfectly authentic. I was blind. He put mud on my eyes. I went down to the pool to wash. And now I see. I don't know what else to tell you. I was transformed from blindness to sight. And I don't get it, but I am thankful. God shows us and calls us to share the good news about the gifts we've been given in our lives, the ones that we don't understand. If you were sick and now you're well, share their story. If you've experienced healing in a broken relationship and now it's repaired, share your story. If you were lost but now you're found, share that good news. Telling our stories is what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. We pay attention to see what God is doing, and we say something about what we see God doing. We want others to find hope, to see and hear where our faith resides. We might not think our stories matter or that they'll impact anyone, but they do matter. Our testimonies of hope in God are radical witnesses to a world in which the voices of cynicism and apathy shout at us to keep quiet. The greatest lie we tell ourselves is that the world is fixed, that our futures are fixed. And that we can live only by what we understand. That we have to trust only our certitudes, as did the the religious leaders in the story. The greatest challenge is to keep open our eyes to wonder and possibility 
and new vision. A testimony of new vision and hope disrupts the narrative of cynicism and distrust and suspicion. The greatest gift God can offer through our humble stories is that the possibility of blindness can be transformed into sight. Now may the hope that we share with the world be about Jesus Christ, who is our good news. Thanks be to God. Amen.